Keely Companies recognizes that their people are indeed their greatest asset. With a focus on career growth and well-being and safety, Keely Companies are proud to be a career destination. If you or anyone you know is looking to join a culture unlike any other, let me encourage you right now to apply today and experience the Keeley way. If you want to truly make a difference and be part of an organization that recognizes that difference by investing in you, learn more by checking them out online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. A question for you before I bring on today's guest, a guest I know you are going to love. Here's the question. When should you finally give up? When should we finally cease the effort of putting into that thing, whatever that thing is that might be important or matter deeply to you, recognizing you failed? When should you finally give up? Well, today we have the honor of interviewing one of the greatest failures of a guest we've ever brought on to the Live Inspired podcast. This gentleman was near bankruptcy. He was struggling massively with self-worth and feeling totally isolated from others. And yet in the midst of that storm, he also had a vision of sharing a message that he knew would be elevating to the entire world. He shared his passion, he shared his idea, he shared his story with a publishing company in New York, and they flat out rejected it. He submitted to another publishing company, and they also rejected it. He then sent it on to a dozen additional publishing companies, and guess what happens? All 12 rejected it. My friends, in total, Mark Victor Hansen sent his story, his idea, to 144 different publishing companies. And all 144 publishing companies rejected his idea until one. And all it takes is one. We know that to be true in this family, don't we? One believed. Because of his persistence, his faithfulness, and their belief in his work, Mark Victor Hansen created a book you may have heard of called Chicken Soup for the Soul, It was printed, it was published, and it became wildly successful. The book he wrote alongside his friend Jack Hanfield went on to sell more than 500 million copies internationally. I'm going to say that again because you thought the first number I shared was pretty big, 144 rejections. Yeah, that's pretty big. But listen to this one, 500 million copies of Chicken Soup for the Soul have been sold internationally on Our conversation today with Mark Victor Hansen, he's going to share the story of growing up in a home of immigrant parents who never even learned to read in English. He's going to share the story of a remarkable teacher and then a couple other teachers who believed and challenged him to realize his potential. He's going to share the story of failing forward in life. He's going to share the story of four principles that he credits his success and significance to. But more than all of that, He's going to remind you, my friends, that you are a gift, that you have a story to share, 
and that the best of it is yet to come. You're going to love this conversation with international best-selling author. His name is Mark Victor Hansen. So, Mark, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. I could not be more honored because I want you live inspired. I live inspired, but we want everybody to live inspired, to live at their highest, their best, their noblest, and their most sharing. To put Mark in context, during our warm-up before I hit record, I kept asking him what he wanted to get out of the podcast, what he wants listeners to walk away with, and he kept turning it back to me, to my story, to how God is using me. And I think that is a reflective and a beautiful part of your life, Mark. And so let's make sure we stay focused on you during this time, because that's why you're on. That's why people are tuning in. And ultimately, they do so not only to learn from your story, but what it means for them. So for those who have not yet read one of your more than 300 books, and you've sold more than 500 million around the world, it's a, it's a crazy number. If you bump into somebody in an airport or grocery store, church, wherever it might be, and they say, huh, Mark Victor Hansen, that, that sounds familiar. Uh, tell me about what you do. How do you respond to that? Mark, what do you do? I just say I write books like this morning. I was at a dermatologist and she said, well, what do you write? I said, chicken soup. She said, you're not going to believe it. I just bought chicken soup and the nurses sold teenage. So I As you and I were talking before we recorded, it's kind of stunning. In fact, the work that you do, because you come from an immigrant family, you come from a beautiful mother, a beautiful father, but zero, really zero English books in your house growing up outside of Chicago. That's right. I mean, we had no books in the house. And now the great good news we haven't talked about is that I'm a sophomore in English and doing well. And we get this guy that's bigger than life, happily married, just elegantly dressed, John Reinhardt. And he just, you know, somehow I got into his class and, and I get goosebumps saying that this guy was a great and inspiring teacher, got us to love literature. But it was the day John Kennedy got killed. I'm in his class at two o'clock. The principal says we're shutting down the school. John Reinhardt takes his hand, slaps down the desk and said, ladies and gentlemen, we've watched and compared everything from Shakespeare to, to what's happening with uh, President Kennedy. I want you to call your parents. We're going to stay here until we discuss what grief is, what love is, what politics is. And every one of us called, every one of us stayed. And just to make that long story and finish it with John Reinhardt, I won the Book of the Year Award, Jack and I, in front of 60,000 people at ABA at McCormick Place in Chicago. My parents were gone and we were allowed to have two people. And I said, uh, I called up Mr. Reinhardt, Ms. Reinhardt. I said, look, I'm winning this Book of the Year Award. I'd love you to be my honored guest. I'm only allowed two. They came and I introduced him to all those people and gave him a standing ovation, which he totally deserved because what what you and I want is everyone to get in front of a great and inspiring teacher. If it's us, God bless us and God bless the audience because there's two parts. Whatever we put out, more importantly, do they come there? Are they prayed up? Are they thought up? Do they want thought leadership? Are they willing to be a mentee to a mentor? And I've never met anyone great that isn't a mentee-mentor relationship. I can name all my mentors, and still I got mentors at 74 years young. You mentioned Mr. Reinhardt, and it was actually challenging preparing for this conversation today. Sometimes it's challenging when I have guests on my show because they, they don't have much out there. They don't have a book. They don't have many episodes of podcasts that they've been on or they've interviewed others. You on the opposite side of the spectrum, Mark, have so many episodes, so many television shows, so many books that you've written. So trying to coalesce this message down to one that we could kind of travel a path together, we had to be very focused. And one of the names I wrote down that I wanted you to share with us today was Mr. Reinhardt, November 22nd, 1963. And so you went there before I even led you. So that's super cool. Wow. You, you talked about a great teacher. 
we got a whole lot of teachers who tune in. We have listeners from 50 states, listeners from, from 75 different nations, at least, who tune in from around the world to the Live Inspired podcast. Many of them are educators. So what makes a great educator? Oh, man, I love that question. And it just, it, it couldn't be a better question to ask than the one you just did. And, and my other great teacher in graduate school was Buckminster Fuller. Dr. Fuller was 15 doctorates at Harvard, 110 honorary doctorates, invented all kinds of cool stuff. Einstein's best student, arguably 40 books. And I got to spend seven years with him. The, 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 the point is, is that every one of us knows a great and inspiring teacher. It's the quality, it's the essence, it's their drive, it's their verve, it's their vitality. It's, and, and we did do the book, Chicken Soup for the Teacher, sold as a giant uh, success because Jack, Curiously, it was an elementary teacher, as you know, and I was a university professor. And, and uh, we think teaching is the critical thing. Education is, is the leverage for humanity. And back to what we were saying before we started, 4 billion people are not allowed in education for socialism, communism, and anocracies. Uh, you know, and it just, it's a crime because if we free up humanity, if we are combined, if we let the teacher out and, and really inspires the kid to be lifelong learners like you and I are. Everybody needs to be a lifelong learner. It, it, maybe you didn't need that pre-industrial. Maybe, you, you know, the first two million years of human life was survival. Talk about McCormick Place. So I, I've spoken there a couple times and it is a stunning place, big venue. You have tens of thousands of folks in the room and then you have an opportunity to, to not only receive this award, but to celebrate a teacher who helped guide you to believe it was possible. What do you remember about that evening? And what do you remember celebrating about this, this former teacher of yours? Because we've got so many people online that are teachers or want to teach. And, and, and I'm saying that even people when do retire, which people do, they need to go back and teach. In other words, when I did a book with Art Linkletter, you know, uh, how to make the rest of your life, the rest of your life, Art and I said, look, grandparents got to teach their grandkids and great grandkids how to read and read voluminously and excitedly. Uh, because you can't lead if you don't read. You've got to know, and you've got to know a lot, and you've got to know a lot of perspectives, and more today than before. You know, 150 years ago, we couldn't travel. Up until 1959, there were no jets. I got on one of the first jets in 1959. I'm only 11 years old. So, I mean, I remember going out and paying $50, which is a lot of money, but from cutting lawns just to fly in an airplane. So it, it, we've come a long way since the Wright brothers in 1906. But back to teaching... If you read Chicken Soup for the Teacher Soul and you read that story by John Schlatter, he says, why I'm a teacher. And it just makes you cry. And Jack would open up all the stuff when we talked to teachers, two teachers, each of us individually or collectively. And we'd read that story and they'd all cry. But that's why my friend John Reinhardt got a standing ovation because everyone in that audience could read because of a great teacher. And it could have been their mom or dad or uncle or aunt but it was probably also somebody in school that taught them the ABCs and then took them forward. Mark, let's talk for a little bit, of, not only about education, but what you wanted to do with it once you finally wrapped it up. I'm a St. Louis, Missouri guy. I don't know if you knew that, but you went to school in Southern Illinois, I think down in Carbondale, SIU. What was your major in and what were you hoping to do with that later on in life? First of all, I fell in love with the campus. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And then a guy grabs me who came on entering politics and had a, a guy named Dick Carr. We had 64,000 students. I get into student leadership. I, I really wanted to be a, a communicative leader and inspired by John Kennedy. There's a common expression. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So I'm going to take you back to 1974 a prolific and a profound turning point in your life. Would you talk about the bankruptcy, what led to it, and ultimately what came out of it? 
1974, I've been with Bucky Fuller. I'm trying to be Bucky Fuller. I built the Wall Street Racquet Club, Botanical Gardens, Aviaries. I own a company called Dome East. And I'm really smoking, man. I'm hot. Frank Sinatra saying, if you can make it here, you can in New York City, you can make it anywhere. Anyhow, I'm cooking. And then all of a sudden, but I'm building out of P plastic, PVC. The oil embargo hits and I crash and burn. And it, and it happens like that. Now, luckily, I'd sold my way through school because, like I told you, my parents didn't really have money. And they gave me an audio tape that I was cocky, sophomoric, and, and I was in an atmosphere that I don't ever need to listen to this. And now I'm bankrupt. And the tape was by the dean of our industry, the speaking industry, Gavin Robert, called Are You the Cause or Are You the Effect? Well, I'm bankrupt. And I'm starting to listen to this thing 267 times. And I we teach in our book, Ask, your dreams, your destiny. Everyone's got a soul destiny, my wife and I believe. The point is, I'm, I'm scared. I'm ready to commit suicide because I've lost my money, other people's money. And I'm saying, okay, God, what is it I'm supposed to do? And God didn't do, answer the question. God said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to talk to people that care about things that matter, that make a life transformative difference. What does a kid who's on the fronts, struggling financially, struggling emotionally, have to teach insurance guys, sales leaders, real estate leaders, leaders generally, school teachers, dog catchers, or anybody else about taking the next right step forward. So placing yourself way back in those shoes that probably had holes on the bottom of them back then, what was the message? The message was, is you got to pivot. All of us are going to have problems and we're going to have more problems now. But I was an entrepreneur since I was nine years old, buying my own clothes and all that. So what an entrepreneur does is find a problem fixes it, scales it, and then makes a vast fortune. And, and, you know, the whole Bible is about, I shall not want. If you're in poverty, you've got the wrong service going on in your head. Because Christ said, you have come, you might have life and have more abundantly. He didn't say you're supposed to have holes in your shoes like I did, and holes in your pockets and only have the wrong clothes and no car. Talk Thank about you. how you bumped into Jack Canfield and, and, uh, and then eventually the relationship that formed from there. So, so he and I are talking in the same program, 6,000 people, the Mandala Foundation in San Diego. He was on first and I watched him and I'm on last. And after I'm done, I'm putting together my stuff. I'd sold all the books I'd brought and it was an amazing day. And he said, uh, I'm Jack. I said, Canfield, you're Dr. Jack Canfield, third in your class at Harvard. You wrote a book called How to, uh, 101 Ways to Build Self-Esteem in Class. And he said, how do you know that? I said, because I studied everybody that's going to be on this program because I want to meet them and I want to see what they're doing. And you're doing great. You say, well, can I take you to dinner? Well, we had, a, uh, if you know the term Vulcan mind mill, we just really hit it off. We synchronized. And he said, can you teach me how to sell? Like I just saw you sell. I saw you walk out with a lot, a lot of money and I didn't walk out with any. And I said, yeah. So I taught him how to do stories, which Cavett, Robert had taught myself and Zig Ziglar and a lot of us, because Cavett is a dean of the business and not how big a piece of pie gets, how big we make the pie by sharing and cooperating, which is the opposite of what's happening in America. When you're divisive, you are uncooperative. And Jack started putting the stories together. We, I said, well, we got to write together. So we wrote it together. We're 50-50 partners. And we built what's called Chicken Soup for the Soul Enterprises, did more books than anybody and sold more. After 144 publishers, they actually said, hit the road, Jack. No, that's a joke. <laughs> but you're, it is true that you were rejected 144 times. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. And it got worse, though, that no one knows or thinks about. Our agent, we got a long letter saying, look, we've taken you everywhere. This book's never going to sell. And then they wouldn't put us on New York Times when we sold more books than they were. And Jack had been in class with this woman at Harvard, and I said, you call her, you know, she should, there's only 500 people in class. Everybody knows everybody at Harvard. 
He said, I don't have the courage. I call her up and I say, you know, we're selling more books than anybody over 20,000 a week. And I should be number one on New York times. What's the deal? Should you're a multi authored book. Like that's a surprise to me. And she was haughtily, haughtily disdainful. And I said, and you don't do multi-author books? Absolutely not. We're the New York times. Don't you know that? I said, you're sure. She said, I'm sure. I said, look, lady, you do the Bible. And unless I, I've got a different moat than I do, it's 66 books. My thing in the back page says maps is 720. So, you know, she said, boy, you're in next week. I said, thank you very much, ma'am. <laughs> you get rejected 144 times. And I, I told a couple of friends that I had the honor of interviewing you today. And one of the responses, and I will not mention her or his name, was, wow, those guys sure got lucky with that series. That oh, I've been lucky. I want to just talk about that for a moment because it's very easy to claim someone else's success as being luck. 144 times a rejection does not sound lucky to me, but rather than talking about that rejection, for me, I think the power of this story actually is the hustle afterwards. Talk about a few of the things you did after you got your first publisher to say, yeah, I'll give you guys a chance. We'll print a hundred copies of this. How do you go from a hundred to 200 to 1000 to 2000 to 1 million to 500 million. When when Edison was said, the, the negative journalist said, well, you failed 10,000 times. He said, I never failed once. Okay. I had 10,000 learning experiences. God and I had to work it out to go through those to get to a figment and a light bulb and a tungsten and all that. So the same thing for us, we just had to find the right place. And we're selling it ourselves and we're at the ABA and, and we've been there three days, May 17th through May 20th in uh, 1989 and we get to the last publisher and the guy said, okay, I'll take it, but you got to buy 20,000 copies at $6 each. Well, you multiply that up pretty quick. That's a lot of money for Jack and I to commit to. And then, but we didn't know that the truth was he was bankrupt. He was $17 million upside down. And he was just hoping that, that we'd be a lifeline so he could get somewhere. And he said, you guys are going to be a one book wonder and all that. Same as it. I'm the one who set the goals for us, the big, hairy, audacious goals. I said, we tell a million and a half in a year and a half. The, the book comes out June 28th, 1993. By Christmas, 1994, a year and a half later, we'd sold a million three, not a million five. So we're 200,000 short. But the next year I said, we're writing, I'm so happy I'm selling 5 million copies. And we did. We did 10 million and then we did 15 million a year. And then we kept going. I do bypass marketing. I do marketing that nobody else thinks of. Like, I met the head of the Red Cross, Elizabeth Dole, and uh, she's out of blood. She's saying, hey, Mark, can you come up with an idea to get blood? We're out of blood. And I said, we'll give everybody that comes in a three-page, what's called a sampler of our a chicken soup of the soul. It would have to be a third helping of chicken soup, which ultimately became number one 58 weeks in a row. Because you give it a million and a half people come in and get blood, that's a heck of a lot of samplers. And all of a sudden, they read it and go, oh, I cried all over my soap blouser shirt. I got to buy this book. Anyhow, so they, they gave the blood. We got enough blood for a year and a half cryogenically frozen, which is like so cool, I can't believe it. We sold the books, which was really my sub-goal. And the Red Cross wins, and, and we sold a lot of books. You know, when you are an author, whether you've sold a, a book or 500 million books, they try to put you in a category, and the category many of your books find themselves into is self-help. And I've, I've heard you interview countless times. One of my favorite interviews is actually maybe surprising, an Anderson Cooper interview between you, a third person, and they brought you on because they wanted to hear about why self-help is a bunch of bull. It's just a lie, man. So this guy is just hounding you. What, what a bunch of bull that you're, you're a crook. You're selling him a bill of goods, all this stuff. And I think it was maybe your like finest hour. You, you put on your boxing gloves and you went to work. 
Tell me why you believe self-help is not a gimmick. First of all, Anderson Cooper was amazing on that interview. Do I believe in self-help? I'm bankrupt and upside down. If it hadn't been for, I didn't know the self-help action business even existed, but now suddenly I'm reading Think and Grow Rich. I'm reading Mandina, The Great Salesman. I now change my mind and I'm reading stuff that I didn't know existed. And I'm still reading stuff that I didn't know existed. You, my friend, have authored more than 300 books. What, what is the genesis, the spark that gives you the idea that something that you're considering, reflecting on, thinking about praying over needs to be turned into an entire book? Talk about that creative process. Okay, back to my model of, of going to self-realization, which is being in tune with God, in tune with the infinite, because the infinite is infinite. And the infinite keeps coming up with the same thing. When the infinite keeps hitting you over the head three or four times and saying, do this, do this, do this. I write it down as a title and I say, I'll do it. And I put it in a sequence. And then, you know, pretty soon all the ideas start flowing. And it's wonderful and it's important and everybody needs to do this. That's why I say, you know, I wrote a book called You Have a Book in You. And on the back cover, I wrote the best book of all time hasn't been written yet because you haven't written it. And this tells you how to do it. This, I want everyone to write a book. I got to go one step further, John. Mitzi Purdue is our best friend. We wrote a book called How to Be Up and Down Times with the biggest chicken lady, but her daddy created Sheridan Hotels. And so she's the only double heiress in America. She's an amazing, brilliant, humble woman who I'd like you to interview if you haven't. Have you interviewed Mitzi yet? I have not, but I've read about her. And I think you wrote about her and Ask. You know, Sheraton, the brand came from. I was amazed by that. And he started it during the Depression. Everybody's going out of business. He's buying them and, and never fired an employee. He said, you're going to have to work excellent hard. You're going to have to work 18 hours a day. We're not going to make a lot of money together right now, but we'll all do really well if you'll stay with me. Ernest Henderson was her dad, you know, and she's a really wonderful, brilliant, gorgeous lady. We love her. I would love to meet her. And uh, I want to talk about your most recent work. It's called Ask. Here's a guy who's already written 300 books, Mark. Why, why another one? Why Ask? Chris and I travel around the world you know, and have been to 80 countries and talked to 7 million people, I think is number six and a half, seven million people. And, and we found great people, educated people, good attitudes, but the difference between somebody who succeeds a little, John, and somebody who's vastly successful is one thing. They know how to ASK to GET what they want. And, you know, I've obviously been able to ask, and I know that some of you are going to say no, but I know that when they say no, you got to say one clean four-letter word, N-E-X-T, which I learned when I was a little greeting card salesman. And then just keep going towards what you want. So in this book, we're saying don't get one copy of Ask, get two. And go over it with whatever your significant other is or your church mate or your business mate or your mastermind partner or your colleague at business. And go through all 178 questions, ask them, and then write out the answer. Because my principles are real simple for. I've done them my whole life to outperform yourself. You've got to figure out what you want, which only one in 100 of us know what we want. Number two, you've got to put it in writing. Your goals have got to be in writing. The Bible says, write a thing, make it clear. It shall be established on you. Shall is definite, certainly. And then Christ said, praise of the thing for which you're praying has been received and you'll have it. Only one in a thousand have written goals. I've tested in my audiences. There, no one has written goals. Number one, they don't know what they want. I say, well, what do you want? I don't know. I don't know. What do we want? I don't know. What, do you want a car? Do you want a house? No, no, I want money. I so here's a quarter. You got to no, no, that's not what I want. What, what you got to have a number. It's got to be. You got to get definite with the infinite. Three, you got to visualize it. What are you seeing? If you're seeing same old, same old, same old, same old, and you expect something new, 
Einstein said, if you expect new results with the same old activities, you're cuckoo. And then four, you've got to have a team to get your dream together that pushes the edge of your envelope. So why do so few of us know what we want? You, 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 it seems like you write about it in almost every one of your books to one degree or another. But why do so few of us who desire more in our lives, who long for things intrinsically, but we're not clear on what that is? Why is that, Mark? I think we've been put down and asking, like we say in the book, so much from the time you're getting, Johnny, you ask too many questions as a little kid. Who do you think you are? And then you go to school and they say, no, no, I'm the teacher. You sit up, shut up and listen. And I'm going to tell you. And that's why when you go to John Reinhardt's class, he said, I, you don't get an A in this class unless you debate me on stuff. Now, you can be wrong, but you got to debate. I get goosebumps telling you because it was so, I thought, what a shift. I want to take this guy's class. and I took every class that Mr. Reinhardt taught. I mean, there was nothing that I didn't take from him. But the point is, he opened up my mind again, because school has a tendency to put it down. And now we're saying to kids, uh, you know, maybe you want to go and be an entrepreneur and really think for yourself, create, because all of us here are create. Yes, you should put in a lot of knowledge. But what is the thing you want above all else? What is your magnificent obsession? What is your desire? And every one of us, I really believe what I say in this thing, we have a soul code destiny. And my job is to have you read it so you pull out your soul code destiny. I'm not here to tell you your right livelihood is this or you're supposed to do that. You've got to do it. And and we're finishing a book right now on on a near-death experience. And a woman died. She was gone for three hours. You can't come back after three hours. It's a Lazarus type story, right? She comes back and she said, God told her, to get everybody else to be back on purpose again. And I said, man, I want to help you with that. I'll write the forward to that 10 days a week. I mean, it just, it's that important because most people don't get it. I can mumble through life. And if I don't get hurt by 65, I can go fishing or play poker or cards or golf. Or, and none of that's wrong, but that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not a life purpose. In my life purpose playing every golf course in the world. I don't golf, so that, but you know what I'm saying? That that isn't a high, lofty, and inspired goal that's sourcing and serving humanity to grow and get better. You you write in the book around the seven roadblocks to the courage of asking. And one of them, the very first one, I believe, is this idea of being unworthy. And I I think it goes back to meandering our way through life and just waiting for something else to happen, but not knowing specifically what that is or the divinity, the royal blood that courses through our veins. So again, Mark Victor Hansen, why do you think it is that so many of us feel so utterly unworthy of the gifts and the talent and the life and the joy of our lives? Three parts to what you said. First of all, we do have the seven roadblocks, which all of us have some of them. Some of us have all of them. Very few of us have conquered all of them, sort of an Abe Lincoln uh, answer to that. Only 1% or 2% ever have a goal or really get clear what they want. Well, I just want to mumble along and have a middle-class house and a job that pays. And, and if I got a 401k, I'm okay. No, no, you're not okay. What if what if that's 1% of your potential? You got 100% that you're supposed to be, you're missing 99. The book ask ends not with a question, but more of an expectation or an invitation or maybe even a demand. So part of the book is about receiving a better relationship with your spouse, a better relationship with God, greater health, greater ability to impact. But it ends ultimately, Mark, with you saying give. And so the recipient ultimately at the end of the book becomes the giver. Why is giving so important to you and ultimately to all of us? Life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. When I'm bankrupt and upside down, every part of the Bible, Jesus doesn't have enough food. He first of all goes, thank you, Father, and then feeds 5,000. The person's blind and he makes them see. 
he was always thankful first, and you got to be thankful for your good in advance. We're going to move shortly here into the final Live Inspired 7 questions that will wrap up our time together with Mark Victor Hansen. But before we do, up for you next is not only telling your stories and telling the stories of others, but allowing people who have life stories and who does not to be able to articulate it, to pen it down, to write it out, and ultimately to publish it. Talk about that publishing company that you're working on, Mark. So, so we've created a company called MarkVictorHansonLibrary.com. It's Library 3.0. We're going to go to the whole world, but we ghost write books. 70% of all the best-selling books are ghostwritten. There's only one president of all the presidents that didn't have a book ghostwritten. One. Everybody else had them ghosted. So I said, well, wow, ghosting is an honorable profession. Now, the industry has come down. The best writers are all my friends. So we put them all together and said, look, you guys are out of work. I'll put you back to work, but you're going to ghost for other people. And we'll write any kind. We write your autobiography, biography, whatever you want. And so we interview the person, get their principles, philosophies, beliefs, and then we fictionalize it and make it big. We want to help everybody publish their book. Mark, I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds of individuals. And if you add up the business owners and business leaders preparing for meetings, many thousands of leaders. I'm not sure I've ever met with someone as energetic and as energized as you are entering in (laughs) midway through your seventh decade, wealthy beyond imagination as a child. So the final question before we shift into the Live Inspired 7 is what keeps you as energized as you are, not only for your work, but for your life? I love doing every second of my life. I really believe you're supposed to have an abundant life and I want to have one and I want to have more. And and I get invited to all these cool things and it's hard to squish them in even because they're just tremendous things I get invited to as you as you really manifest your talent your skills your abilities and and fulfill your desire other people will come to you and offer you amazing stuff Mm. and it's exciting I mean why would you want a dull life I don't want to be put up on a shelf you're your fourth quarter of your life you're supposed to let somebody else I'm going to wrap up this conversation with you Mark by asking seven questions, we have been honored to ask a whole bunch of other leaders leading into today. So here we go. First one's going to be difficult for a guy who's read thousands of books, but the first one is this. Mark Victor Hansen, what is the most impactful book, the one most impactful book you have ever read? Okay, we'll skip the Bible, but that really does it, but is Resurrection by Neville. Wow, I was not expecting that. Tell me why it's Resurrection. He teaches you how the Bible really is understood, and he teaches you how to manifest instantaneously by going to the feeling nature. In other words, everyone else thinks it's thought, but it's really thought and feeling when they're integrated. The law of attraction is absorptive, and you get what it is you want. He says, live in the assumption of the wish fulfilled is, is his classic line that I would put in a piece of marble that's that important. Live in the assumption of the wish fulfilled. In other words, I was a great speaker before I became a great speaker. I was the world's best-selling author before I became world's best-selling author. I am going to get everybody in the world literate if I have my way. And and you don't have to go too deep online to see all the people that say, that's not possible. Some of those people are stupid. Some of those people are handicapped. No, there's no such thing. I got a daughter that teaches special ed. She takes special ed kids and finds the greatness in them. And in 15 in the morning and 15 in the afternoon, she teaches here in Scottsdale. Four of them in each class are genius level. They were mislabeled. It's sort of like, you know, triage medicine when the patient's going to die no matter what. Like in your case, when you're burned, if the wrong doctor had been there, you wouldn't be here today. Fact. Or nurse or whatever. Yeah. So Mark, what is one characteristic or maybe one trait that you possess as a little guy growing up outside of Chicago that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? 
desire. I had white hot desire that was unstoppable. Wow, man, you got a white hot, hot desire now. I would hate to see you as a six-year-old. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that I was a stretch for mom and dad. Mark, if this house caught fire and all living things are out, your wife, your children, the animals, all the, all the, the people and things are out, and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item, one physical item, what's the one thing you would come racing back outside with today? The insurance papers. <laughs> Build, baby. Let it burn and you'll rebuild. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a nice long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you want to be seated next to? Either Jesus or the Apostle Paul, but I got to list of 28 people because I've heard the question and I've asked it myself and I love the question. But there's a lot of people. I'd love to hang with Shakespeare for a while. I'd love to hang with Mark Twain. I'd love to hang with Socrates. I'd love to hang with Plato. And I'd love to get with Alexander. Why did you build the first library? You're a 28-year-old kid. You've conquered the world. I mean, God, what a great guy. And Andrew Carnegie, for sure, building 1,689 libraries. I know that you want one word, but it's hard to do that for me. Beautiful. Uh, sometimes the best answer is one word. Other times it's one word with a whole lot of commas and hyphens. Well done. What's the best advice that one of those leaders or anyone else ever gave you? So the best advice you've ever received is? I would say Cabot Robert probably told me to keep writing more. And, and if I look back on it, when I was, you know, when I, when I had that one book to sell, that's all I kept selling because I was doing so well. And I thought, what, what a joy. But I could have written a lot more earlier. Now I'm writing all that I can write. I mean, I don't have any more time to write more than I'm doing and dictate and, and listen and read all the stuff. So I, I love but it, I would have tried to do it uh, a little faster earlier. Mm. And I could have, I had plenty of time. We all got all the time there is. Mark, if you could kind of hop on a plane, head back to Carbondale and go back in time a few years, maybe five decades, and whisper some encouragement into your 20-year-old self, what would you tell that 20-year-old version of you? You're going to have the most exciting, exuberant, ecstatic life of anybody you know. Mm. And don't don't brag about it because it really flipped people out. Because <laughs> people say it can't be that good. Well, I've had the same kind of problems you have, different, but all of us have problems. And, and most of us don't understand problems are, are inside every problem is hidden a solution. Inside your problem was hidden a solution. You are supposed to go out and get people out of their doldrums. Now, you and I could talk different words depression, angst, despondency, any word you want. But the, the fact is that. And I'm holding up a mirror that I see. That's one of the great, not the only one, but one of the great things. And, and most people are, we have 3,000 people committing suicide a day in America today. And I'm friends with a lot of psychiatrists and, and they are great friends and they're trying to handle it. And they've got no way to handle it because we've got to open up public up. We got to, we got to back to what we were talking about earlier in relationship. We, we are fundamentally have to have community. It's not a choice. That's right. You can't be the Lone Ranger. Truly, that's the, the real pandemic. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's not a global pandemic. There is. But the true pandemic happening long before COVID was on our shores is this pandemic of loneliness, isolation, some of it forced on us by ourselves. Correct. Because the, the thing about NEXT, the most dangerous rejection is, is self-rejection because self-rejection will kill you. Self-rejection will paralyze you. Self-rejection will stifle you. Self-rejection will not have you ask that woman that would have been your perfect ideal mate or, or vice versa. Well, Mark Victor Hansen, it has been said that all great people, 
all great authors, all great leaders, all great human beings can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Boy, that's the first time I've ever heard that question. I think if I had, I'm doing it spontaneously, but I think he served greatly with love. Mm. Mark Victor Hansen served humbly and beautifully with love. <laughs> You did so, man. I, I just appreciate your work and your words and your life and your books and the encouragement that you are to me and countless other readers around the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love doing it. Well, my friends, I want to thank you for tuning into the Live Inspired podcast this time with Mark Victor Hansen. As you all know, I'm always looking for a couple key takeaways. Yeah, failing forward. Yeah, not giving up on your dreams. Yeah, believing that God is still God and the best is yet to come. All these were core to what Mark shared during the conversation. But I wrote down three quotes that moved me also. Here come three quotes. If you have written down nothing to this point, grab your favorite Live Inspired journal and pen. Here we go. This one's probably my favorite of the three. Life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. Man, that's good. Life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. Education is the leverage for humanity. Uh, No truer words were spoken than these, in particular during the climate that you and I find ourselves working and leading and loving in today, that education is the leverage for humanity. Let's make sure we use it well. And the third quote I wrote down was this, you can't lead if you don't read. You can't lead my brothers and sisters, boys and girls, family and friends, if you do not read. So if you enjoyed hearing from the New York Times bestselling author, you'll enjoy also a few other New York Times bestselling authors we've had on our Live Inspired show. They include Bob Costas. They include Gary Chapman. He's the author of The Five Love Languages. Professional surfer Bethany Hamilton. You know her story, Soul Surfer among many, many, many others. If you want to learn about these phenomenal authors, human beings, and podcast guests, you can check them all out by visiting my website at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. There's a link there for the New York Times bestselling author playlist. Check it out today, johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoy receiving and benefiting from these podcasts as much as I enjoy bringing them to you, Let me encourage you to subscribe. If you've never subscribed, do so today. While you're there, you can also not only click the subscribe button, but also you can rate, review this. It's a wonderful way to get the work we do into a world that is longing for it. And one more way to to live this message out is when something moves you, take action on it. When you recognize a quote that has stirred something in your soul, Don't just let it live here on the Live Inspired channel, but take it into a marketplace that is longing for it. So life gives to the giver, my friends. Let's remain givers in a marketplace looking for it. So for this time and until next time, my name remains John O'Leary. Today remains your day. What a gift it is. I encourage you today to live inspired. Well, if you get the people right, the results are most certainly going to follow. This cannot be more beautifully on display than the results, the success of our friends and our partners at Keeley Companies. 
They've been named a top 150 privately held company, which is awesome. They're also one of the fastest growing companies as rated by the Business Journal. And they credit that success and that growth to their hardworking, committed people, the success and the culture that these Keelians have driven. You can learn more about those Keelians and their Keely way by visiting them online at keelycompanies.com.